Okay, let's pray. Father, we're asking for your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Just like Gary talked about on Sunday, the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, digging deep down into hearts and, and doing surgical work in our lives, changing us from the inside out. We're asking that you'll do that right now. We're all asking for more of you in our lives, more of you and less of us. And Lord, would you just, just help us right now? There's spiritual things happening in this room right now where there's people who are distracted, looking at their phones, thinking about stuff that's um, happening in their lives. And we're asking that, that you will give us Holy Spirit power to put all that stuff aside and focus on you, that we'd hear your voice. Help us, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, I, I just want to ask you guys, when, when God created humans... What was he excited about? I mean, does God get excited? I think God gets excited. In fact, I think he's just like the, the uh, constant source of excitement all the time. Have you, you guys been around people that are just excited all the time? I mean, God, that's one of God's attributes is that he is a fun, excited God. He's also an unchanging God, so that means he's excited and fun all the time. Okay, so what was God excited about when he made humanity? What's that? Spending time with you. It is the desire of God to live with his people in an intimate relationship. You just heard that we've got another couple at the cornerstone getting married. Man, if we don't stop, you guys are all going to be married pretty soon. Okay, so they're getting married sometime next year, right? You guys didn't laugh very hard. I guess it wasn't a joke. It's true, isn't it? You're all like, I hope so. Okay. As, you, as Miles thinks about well, what's coming next spring, hopefully next spring if we can get enough, enough money. Otherwise, you might have to wait until next spring. No, not really. Um, as he thinks about what's happening next spring, what's, what is, what are the, what is, what's going on in his heart? Excitement. He longs for the day when they are united fully, when they, are, when they come together as one totally. And guys, I want you to understand that the, this whole thing about marriage is a, is a, Paul calls it a mystery or a, an allegory of something that's way, way deeper. Just like when we talk about baptism, that represents something way, way bigger. Yeah, it gets a little bit of clean. If you haven't taken a shower and you get stuck under the water, it gets you a little bit clean. When we take communion... You might be hungry, but a little, little, little bit of cracker and a little bit of juice or wine doesn't satisfy that. It's all, it's allegory. Marriage, guys, is an allegory. The way that Miles feels about Jessica right now and how he's going to be feeling for the, for the months to come as they get ready to be married is an allegory, an example, a, a shadow of the way that God feels about you. God's desire when he created you guys was to be with you, to live with you, to enter into you, to have communion and intimacy with you. And every, every romance that you've ever felt is simply a taste of the way that God feels about you. This is biblical, guys. This is not something I'm making up. So what happened, God makes humanity, and he is... He, becomes a part of that. His spirit lives in Adam and Eve. Now, I don't understand all that happened back there, but at some point that is cut off, and they are, they are put out of the garden. Why? It's because of sin, but it's not that God, God gives up on them. It's that he realizes that, that contact with holy God, imperfect people contact with holy God means instant death, 
And so now there's this, now he cannot live in his people anymore. And so what does he do? He sets up a system where he can be close to them, where there's a temple. But the temple is, the temple, what, what is the temple? What's the purpose of the temple? You guys remember this? First, a tabernacle where it's movable. And what, what, what is, what's the temple all about? Is what? It's a, pl- it's a place. It's a place where heaven and earth intersect. Last week, t- we talked about the physical realm and the spiritual realm, a place where that intersected, where the people could come and through a priest and a system of sacrificing that pointed towards Jesus, that they could come into some nearness to God. But God was not living in them. No way. Because be- just, just a, a touch of God was like you touching a zillion volts of electricity. You cannot live. An imperfect person cannot live in the presence of perfection. So God sets up the system, which really is, a, you know, there's walls in the temple. There's, there's a curtain. There's all this stuff. It's not to protect God from the people. It's to protect the people from the, the destructive presence of God. And then what happens? On the day that Jesus dies, at the moment that he dies, what happens? The curtain is torn. You guys, if you guys were he- back here, uh, we're here back when we were going through the, the last part of the book of Luke. We read the account from Josephus of that curtain being torn. It's, it's from outside of the Bible. What happened there uh, was what that was that the Holy Spirit of God was no longer no longer needed to be separated from humanity, and then Jesus comes to life that Sunday. And he spends time with his disciples. And for the next 40 days, he's teaching them, guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to leave. But when I leave, I'm going to send my spirit. He's, gonna, he's, he's with you right now. He's in you now. But there's a time when he's coming upon you in power. And so if you guys, we're studying the book of, of Acts right now. We're in Acts chapter 2. What happens is they're all together in one place. And suddenly, 50 days after the day of his resurrection, this day that we call Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, suddenly there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God upon the people so that they can carry out his purpose in building his kingdom on the earth. You guys remember this? This was just a couple weeks back, right? And so, we, and, and so then Peter jumps up, and all these people in Jerusalem, there's people from all over the place because it's, it's, like, it's like a Christmas celebration. All these people have come from all these different nations around and he jumps up and starts to explain what had happened, okay? So what we found out last week is that, that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people, that was the dawning of a new era, the dawning of a time when finally the physical world that we live in and the spiritual world that surrounds us, finally there's an intersection where no longer are we separated from God, but the Holy Spirit of God is poured out on all people. All people, anybody who wants Holy Spirit connection gets Holy Spirit connection because Jesus has paid the price. And so Peter's explaining. We got through part of Peter's explanation. But what we're going to move from today is a little bit of Peter's explanation about the Holy Spirit living in people to to, he's going to start explaining how that related to Jesus. Because remember, there's all these people there who have seen something, something amazing happen. And now he's explaining, he's explained this, that that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here in Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 22. And Jesus is going to explain how the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus are connected. He's going to, he's going to move on from, from Holy Spirit outpouring to Jesus. So this is what he tells. Verse 22, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, Mr. Matt will get you one. Who don't got a Bible? 
Guys, it's going to be hard for you to, to understand this if you don't get a Bible. So he'll grab you one. And like I always say, if you don't have one, if you don't have a Bible, I'll buy it for you. You tell me. You just have to promise that you read it every day. Okay. So this is what Peter says. Peter's speaking about at least 3,000 people here. The, there's a crowd. There's craziness happening in Jerusalem. And they're listening to me. And Peter says, men of Israel. You guys look at this. Chapter 2, Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Now he says, listen to this. Because if they don't listen to what he's going to say, they're going to miss the truth of this. And I just want to say the same thing to you guys. As you guys. If you guys don't listen to the Holy Spirit, you can hear a zillion preachers and a zillion songs and go to a zillion Bible studies. But if you don't listen, if you don't, op- if you don't ask God for the help to open up your ears, you're going to miss it. So he's like, listen, guys. You guys, guys got to get this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited, by, accredited, that means endorsed, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. Okay, this is what I want you guys to understand what Peter is saying here. Is that things that God did through Jesus proves that Jesus was a part of God's plan. It proves, really proves his identity. There has never been, you guys have heard me say this before, there's never been a person like Jesus. There's never been a person who, who did the kinds of things that Jesus did. There have been people who have done miraculous things. But there's never been a person like Jesus who has done miraculous things out in the open, in, front, in, in public, repeatedly, over and over, as just a way of life. Jesus was a unique person. And so what Jesus, what Peter is saying to these people, we're saying to the world, we're saying people of the world, people of U, U, the University of Texas at Arlington, Jesus is no ordinary man. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good philosopher. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just some other dude. Jesus was the unique son of God. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody ever gets to God except through going through me. Jesus said that. There's no other person that has said something like that who could authenticate it with the kind of miracles that Jesus did. So Jesus says, so, yeah, so Peter's telling these people, guys, you guys know that, this, that Jesus was endorsed by God because of what he did. And then he says, this is really interesting. He says, God did this through him. Underline this. As you yourselves know. What we're inviting the world to do is to examine what is knowable. We're not trying to get the world out there to believe something that isn't knowable, that isn't examinable that isn't testable we're not just asking the world out there to believe in santa claus we're not asking people to throw their brains away these people who peter is talking to they knew what jesus had done he he doesn't have to jump up and say let me tell you all these things that jesus did jesus healed blind people he healed lame people he made he made he fed five thousand with a few loaves and a few fish he walked on water he doesn't have to tell them all that you know why he doesn't have to tell them that Because they already know. Everybody knew. Jesus was an international phenomenon. I mean, everybody knew about him. How did I say it? Phenomenon. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Sounds like a rapper. Okay, thank you. Guys, I want want you guys to understand how how famous Jesus was. Uh, Eusebius. Does anybody know who Eusebius is? 
Eusebius. Eusebius was a historian that was commissioned by the emperor in about 325 AD to write a history of Christianity. And Eusebius gets most of his history right. But he has a letter in his histories from the king of, well, why don't you put it up here? It's a fascinating letter to Jesus that's written in the history of Eusebius. And uh, I found this about 20 years ago that I was studying, and I've, I've just been fascinated with it. So, when, so, the, so Abgarus, the ruler of Edessa, writes this letter to Jesus. And this is recorded in Eusebius's history that he wrote about 325 A.D. To Jesus, the excellent Savior who has appeared in the country of Jerusalem, greeting. I have heard the reports of you and of your cures as performed by you without medicines or herbs. You, you, I've heard that you cure people without medicine. For it is said that you make the blind to see and the lame to walk, that you cleanse lepers and cast out impure spirits and demons, and that you heal those afflicted with lingering disease and raise the dead. He heard right from a long, long way away. And having heard all these things concerning you, I've concluded that one of two things must be true. Either you're God or having come down from heaven, you do these things, or else you who do these things are the son of a God. Now his request. I have therefore written to ask, to ask you if you would take the trouble to come to me and heal the disease which I have. I'm sick, and I need your help. For I have heard that the Jews are murmuring against you and are plotting to injure you. He was right. But I have a very small yet noble city, which is great enough for us both. In other words, I know you're, I know, I, either you're God or you're the son of God, but I got, I'm, I'm the king of this, this place, and I'm wondering if you want to come and join me, because they're not being very nice to you over there. You want to come and join me? Now, of course, there, he you see this actually records um, a, an answer to this guy, sh a very short answer from Jesus saying, actually, you, you don't understand what uh, what this is all about, but we have we got other plans because Jesus understood that he, that there was other plans at work. But if Eusebius is right, which he got most things right, then the the point is, people all over the known world were hearing about Jesus, and so when she, when when Peter gets up here, he's like, Jesus was endorsed by God through all these miracles that he did. And you guys all know that. He didn't have to convince them that's, that's true. Guys, this is what I want to say to us. As we're, as we're reaching out, doing the same kind of thing that Peter is doing, explaining the Holy Spirit, explaining Jesus, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time trying to convince people about what Jesus did. Let them find out. It's like, you know, don't, don't waste your time arguing, trying to prove to them that Jesus actually made, some, made a blind person see. Let them do their homework. You tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them what Jesus did for you so that you can, or, or you ask, you know what, I just invite you guys, if you've, ever, if you've never prayed for somebody who doesn't know the Lord and asked God to work in their lives, it works. It works. I mean, there's, there are so many people out there who need prayer. We went over to Wendy's a couple days ago, and, and almost every time that you order something, the person on the other side of the counter needs Jesus. All the time. Sometimes they already know him, sometimes they don't. So we grabbed her hand. Her, her grandma had just died. We grabbed her hand. We prayed for her. Is Yemi here? We, pr we prayed for her. And she was so thankful. We asked God to, to do something in her life. Now, I haven't seen her since then, but I'm going to go back and see her at Wendy's. And I believe that God's going to have respond to the prayers that we prayed. You don't have to worry about trying to convince people about something that they don't believe the truth. Invite them to examine the evidence and do their homework. Okay. Verse 23. 
Peter's speaking. He's speaking to this crowd of 3,000 people or so. The man, this man, speaking of Jesus, Peter says, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. What Peter is saying here is that it was God's plan to let evil people kill Jesus. That was God's plan. Guys, don't think that Jesus' life was taken from him. Jesus gave his life. He laid his life down, and he said that. He said, it's, it's my life, and I can lay it down. And he did it because he was willing to die for you. He was willing to die for you. And Peter admits that here, because look what Peter says next. He says, and you people in Jerusalem, and I'm saying you people at the cornerstone, with the help of wicked men, you guys put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Here's what I want you guys to get here. You put Jesus to death. You put Jesus to death. You put Jesus to death by your sin. Understand that God's plan was to take, use Jesus' death to reverse the direction of the world. But it was the people in this room, it was Steve Headland that caused Jesus to die. And here Peter is standing in front of 3,000 people and accusing them. It's like, you guys, it's your fault that Jesus died. But guys, if you don't understand, if you don't own the, the sense of Jesus died because of me, you missed the gospel. I want you guys to see a picture up here. Can you throw that picture up from, who's seen the Passion of the Christ movie? Okay. There's a picture up here. Okay. This hand nailing Jesus to the cross is the guy who made the movie. He doesn't appear in the movie. It's Mel Gibson. You guys know who Mel Gibson is, right? Mel Gibson makes the movie, and this is where he appears in the movie. He appears in the movie. He is the one who's nailing Jesus to the cross. You know why he did that? Because when he was interviewed later, he said, I want people to know that it was me who put Jesus on the cross. Man, I don't, I don't know all about what, what, um, Mel Gibson, but what I know is he's got that right. He's got that right. Okay. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because verse 24 tells us what happened next. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Guys, here, here's what I want you guys to get from this. I, I'm reading NIV here. NIV gets it right a lot of times, but there's, I think NIV doesn't quite get it right here. The translation, really what it says, I want you guys to look at this, okay? Look really carefully. But God raised it from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Literally, what this says, and some of your translations have this, is... God raised Jesus from the dead, having destroyed the agony of death. It wasn't just that he rescued Jesus from the agony of death. When he brought Jesus to life, he destroyed death. He destroyed the power of death. Death would no longer have any power over anybody in this room or anybody in the world if they don't want it to. Death is done with because Jesus, because of, because Jesus had paid for it and God raised him freeing all people from the agony of death. And here's, here's the great news for you. He said, you don't have to die. We were, where were we? We were in and out burger the other day. And, and somebody at the cornerstone said to me, um, do you think it's wrong for me to say, we are not promised tomorrow? She had a good question. She said, is it wrong for me to say that we're not promised tomorrow? How would you answer that? I was like, yeah, that's wrong, but let me tell you why. Because you don't die. You're promised tomorrow and the next day 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 and the next day. And it keeps going. 
We live for eternity. You don't die. Yeah, your body dies. But just wait till you see the new one. There is a new world coming. Hey, guys, we live with this in mind. If you don't live with this in mind, how do you get through the agony of tomorrow? We've got this hope of what's coming. And then Peter explains that Jesus' resurrection from the dead wasn't just something that God just like, oh, I better raise him from the dead. But this was something that was pre-planned and prophesied, foretold in the Old Testament. So again, let's look at verse 25. Verse 25, Peter's speaking to this crowd of at least 3,000 people. And David said, Peter says, quoting Psalm 16, David said this about him, about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. Amen. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. That's, that's Psalm 16. Then he turns to the people and he says, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried here. What he's talking about is David was the guy that wrote this psalm. And what David wrote was that his body wouldn't decay. And he's like, what's wrong here? His body's right there, a few hundred yards from where Peter's speaking is a tomb called the Tomb of David. He's like, David's body is still there. You guys can go check it out. His tomb is still here to this day. But he, speaking of David, was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, speaking of Jesus. Verse 31, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we all, all of us right here, who, are, who you just saw speaking in your languages, all of us were witnesses to this fact. We all saw him, and many of you did too. Here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, this is a song that, David, that, Peter was, that Peter's quoting that David wrote a thousand years before. He's like, David wrote this song a thousand years ago, but David couldn't have been talking about himself because he died. In fact, his remains are right here. And, at the t and, and for all this time, for the thousand years, from the time that that psalm had been written until the time that Peter is speaking, people are scratching their heads going, I don't understand what this psalm is about. And here for the first time, Peter says, guess what? This psalm isn't about David. It's prophetic of Jesus. This is about Jesus. And Peter's point is that not only did Jesus come to life, but God's plan all along. And it was prophesied in Psalm 16 and other places in the Old Testament that God would raise Jesus from the dead. But if that isn't cool enough, check this out. Verse 33. This man, Jesus, is exalted to the right hand of God, for he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend into heaven, and yet David said, the Lord, God, speaking of God, said to my Lord, to, speaking of Christ, speaking of Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, Peter says, so he's quoting there Psalm 110. You can write that in your notes. Psalm 110, he's quoting another scripture that didn't make sense until now, this day. Therefore, let all Israel 
be assured of this. God has made this man, Jesus, that you guys saw, that you guys heard about, that walked these streets, who was killed and was put in a tomb and raised to life. God has made that man, that human, the ultimate authority over the, over the physical world that we live in and the spiritual world. He is the Lord and Christ. And because, here's what, how it applies to all those, three, those thousands of people that are listening to him and how it applies to us and the people at UTA. Because Jesus has that authority, the Holy Spirit is available to everybody. That's what, that's what he's, he's explaining what these people just saw. He's like, because Jesus has now the authority over everything physical and everything in the spiritual realm, you guys get to enter into this and experience Holy Spirit power. You get Holy Spirit in you, with you, upon you, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just, just like what Christina just said. You heard, you heard what Christina said? She get, she, it wasn't just something she, that she could experience in her quiet times. Jesus is with Christina all the time. Yeah, she forgets it sometimes. Sometimes you guys, you guys forget it. But he's with you. He's in you. He comes upon you for you to do what he's calling you to do. You want to know how that happens? That's what the people want to know. They're like, wow, check it out. He's looking for 37. When the people heard this, they were like, oh, my goodness, it makes sense. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, so what are we supposed to do? And Peter's like, I'm glad you asked. So here's what I want to talk about right now for a few minutes. Is how do you get the Holy Spirit in your life? We've talked about this before, but I want you guys to get it from what Peter says here. Verse 38. Acts 2.38, Peter replies, he tells them right here in a verse how you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys want to know what it is? Well, you got it right there, so you've already read it. Peter replied, you repent and be baptized, all of you, all of you be repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? You repent and be baptized. This promise is for you and you and you and you and your children and all those who are close by, all those who are far off, because some of those people have traveled a long way to get to Jerusalem. It's like all for all. You guys are going to go home and you're going to tell all those people and they're going to get the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in their life also. And with many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So how do you get the Holy Spirit in your life? What do you say? You repent. Thank you, Jennifer. You repent, and you're baptized in what? Jesus' name. Guys, it's important what he says here. It's important what he says. We do baptize in water, but what we do in water symbolizes something that's happened at a deeper level. He doesn't, he doesn't say, repent and be baptized. I'm glad he doesn't, because he's clarifying. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. What does it mean to be baptized in the name of Jesus? What's that? Immersed. It means soaked. It means saturated. It means put into the name of Jesus. What does it mean to be put in the name of Jesus? Say it again. There's no way that the Father, except through Jesus. But when, when, what, is, what does Peter have in mind for people to do? What does it mean to be baptized in the name of Jesus? What is the name of Jesus? What is it? 
God with us. It's, it's, it's God with us. Guys, when we talk about the name of Jesus, we're talking about the identity of Jesus. What he's saying is, you guys want to receive the Holy Spirit. He's talking to thousands of people. And they're listening because they just saw a miracle happen. And he's like, you guys want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? You repent and be soaked, immersed in the identity of Jesus. Now, here's what I want you guys to understand is that this is not two things. You repent one day, and then later you get soaked. This is something, this is like saying, Miles, stop living the single life and get married. Okay? Can he get, can he, can he stop living the single life without getting married? No. Can he get married without living the single life? No. Well, it's not a perfect analogy. But you guys know what I'm saying? When, when, when Peter talks to them, he says, guys, repent and be baptized in Jesus He's not saying do two things or one, do one thing today and then a few, few years later you do, you do something else. You, it's, a, it's by doing one, you're doing the other. You repent. Repentance means you stop living the way that you're living. Repentance doesn't mean that you just say some prayer. Repentance isn't something you do one time. Repentance doesn't mean that you go get somebody to pray for you at the Cornerstone or at Grace Community Church. Repentance means you stop living the way that you're living. You say, I am a bad person on my own. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to be hung on the cross. I deserve that. And because I deserve it, I'm sorry, God, for my bad actions. Please change my life. Please help me. That's repentance. And that's not something that you do. And now you go live your life the way you want to. You soak yourself in Jesus. You soak yourself in his identity. You soak yourself in his body. That means his community. You can't live a victorious Christian life on your own. You can't. He says you can't. That's why we do this thing. That's why I'm working so hard to connect you guys into small groups. You, that's why we worked so hard to get the money to buy these houses so that you guys live together because the victorious life comes about through community through connection with his body, not just his spirit. And all the people who are living in the houses can tell you, yeah, they're growing because they're in community, because there's an accountability level there that they wouldn't have otherwise. Now, you guys don't have to live in the house to grow. I'm not saying that. You got a sister. You got a brother. Why aren't you praying with your mom and dad? Because it's awkward, I know. It's like, oh, you're going to be all holy now. You guys pray with your mom and dad. Pray with your mom. Lead the way. Yeah, maybe your dad didn't lead the way very well as you were growing up. You lead the way. You lead the way. You take your family to the next level. This is, this is what the kingdom of God, this gospel, is about. Okay. Now, I want to back up here. We've got a few minutes left here. Are you guys still awake? Do you guys need to stand up? As you got, I think you guys, who had exams today? Okay. Some of you guys are tired, I know. Okay. I want to back up and talk about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit when? All the time. All the time. All the time. And, and this is what we just read. Look, so I want, to, I want us to back up and talk about what it looks like for Holy Spirit power living in us all the time. And I know that none of us gets this right all, all the time, but we're trying. Okay, so back up to verse 25. And I want you to see. This, remember, this is a song that was written how many years before? A thousand years before. 1,002 years before this or so. David, David died 1,002 years before Peter's speaking, okay? So he probably wrote the song a few years before that, okay? This is a song that he wrote, and he says, he's speaking 
prophetically about Jesus. I saw the Lord. You guys looking with me in verse 25? I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is, at, he is at my right hand. Okay, just stop right there. David is speaking prophetically of Jesus. That Jesus walked hand in hand with the Father. Always with his eyes on him. What he did, he was doing because the Father was doing it. What he didn't do, he didn't do because the Father wasn't doing it. Okay? And I want you guys to see the benefit of that in what this verse says. And these verses say, okay? You guys still with me? Okay. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That means I'm not stressed out. I'm not freaked out. I'm not bummed out. I'm not burned out. I will not be shaken. Why? Some of you guys are stressed out and burned out and freaked out. You know why? Because the Lord's not at your right. Your hand, you, you forgot. You let go. You let go of his hand. And he's not always before you. If he is before you, if you do what Christina talked about a few minutes ago, then you will not be shaken. You will not be shaken. And if that's the case, look at verse 26. Then, check it out. What's the result of that? My heart is happy. If you don't got a happy heart, guess what the problem is? If you're struggling with depression, guess what the problem is? I'm serious, guys. Now, I'm not, I'm not belittling depression. I'm not saying you shouldn't get medical help and all that. I'm just saying the solution is hand in hand with Jesus, face to face with Jesus. Face to face with Jesus, hand in hand with Jesus. And, and also, guys, if you're struggling with depression, there's no condemnation here. Nobody's going to be like, oh, I can't believe you're a bad Christian. But, but there, is a, there is an answer. It is daily, moment by moment, with Jesus and with his people. Locking yourself in the room, watching another movie to make you feel good does not work. All it does is numb the pain for a few minutes. I mean, I know it. I've dealt with depression. I am free of depression. I am free. I have, I have done the battle against the devil in regards to the lies in my mind that led to depression. And I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And I've been done with it for a long, long time. But I remember. And, and when, that, when the, the lie of Satan comes creeping in and I feel the depression pushing in on my life, even now. I'm not, I, don't, I mean, I'm not giving in to it. Ever, I haven't given in to it for years. But when I feel that in, when I feel it coming in, you know what we do? As people, we look for something to make me feel good. If I could just buy a new sweater, right? If I could just, I, if I can get on Facebook, or you guys don't do Facebook as much anymore, but you just, or if I could just, you know, te text my rant to somebody, telling, telling somebody how bad the world is, if I could just watch a movie, oh, if it's a romantic movie, you feel, you girls feel so good, and you live in that dream for a minute, and you feel better. But then the movie's over. It doesn't solve anything. And you know what you got to do when the movie's over? You live in fighting the depression until you can finally get one more movie. And I, I'm just, I'm begging you, stop it. Stop going to those less satisfying gods because they don't work permanently. And, and, and God, it's not like you take the Jesus pill once and for all and get fixed. It's minute by minute by minute. That's what Christina talking about. It's verse 25 again. I saw the Lord always before me. My, my victory over the depression and the, the terrible spiritual battle that I dealt with when I was a kid 
came for me, if I could get my mind, my focus on Jesus, I could get it to stop. And it was so hard in the beginning. And as soon as I got my mind on something else, I could, this thing would start coming again. It was so, so difficult. Some of you guys have never had to deal with that. Praise God. But some of you have dealt with that. And the answer, the medication might help. But thank God I never took the medication. I, never, I didn't know about it. I was in the Philippines. Had I known about it, I don't think I would have had this desperation. And I, I don't think I would have learned the practice. But if I can get my eyes on Jesus, I can walk in freedom for at least a few minutes here. Guys, all, the Lord always before you, he is at your right hand. You will not be shaken. Therefore, your heart is glad and your tongue rejoices. Guys, there's something about how you speak that affects your, your world. And the things that you speak are going to be the result of, of how much Holy Spirit focus you have, how much Jesus focus you have. And the more you speak good things and speak the truth, the more you're going to remind yourself to get ba- your eyes back on him. Guys, there is, there is a cycle here. If you're speaking, I mean, are, are most of your words positive words or negative words? If you're speaking negative words, well, why? Well, no wonder you feel discouraged. No wonder you got to find some porno, pornographic website to make yourself feel good. But if Jesus is before you, don't need that. My heart is glad. That means happy. My tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope. In other words, there's an effect on my life, my body. My body lives in hope. The understanding, I mean, think about the hope. What is the hope that you guys got about your body? It's like, yeah, this, you know, this thing will die. In fact, Saturday, Ian says, Dad, when you die, is it okay if I just put you in a, in a wooden box? Um, he said, in fact, can we just bury you out in the field behind the barn? Because think of all the money we'll save. I said, sure. I'm not going to be there. No problem. He said, actually, Dad, maybe we can like, put you out on the ocean, like, in a, you know, just like put a candle on the, on the coffin and just like, push you away like a little bar. I'm like, you figure it out. I'm not going to be here. Okay. Hey, you, know, you know why we can joke about this? Because this is not all there is. And the instant that, you're, that you're, you, you do what people on, on this side of life call death, you get an injection of life that lasts forever because we have a hope in him. We live in him. And he promises that those who believe in him will never die. You don't die. What are you scared about? Nor will your, you let your Holy One see decay. You don't see decay. Yeah, your body decays, but you got a new one. You have made known to me the paths of life. You know what this is talking about? When, you're, when, when the Lord is always before you, when he's holding your right hand, you know what? The paths of life, you know what that is? That means you, you guys know the way to go. You know how life is supposed to be. you got decisions to make right now. There are huge decisions. Poor Jessica had to make a decision whether she was going to say yes or no. It's like, what if I say yes and I'm not supposed to? What if I say no? You know what? She said yes because God, the, the Holy Spirit, is making known to Jessica the path of life. She didn't have to worry. You don't have to worry about making the wrong decision because you're in him. He's before you. He's at your right hand, and you make the right choice. What a great thing. The guaranteed um, path to success in life is him. And you will fill me with joy. You guys see this last verse, verse 20? You'll fill me with joy in your presence. Where does, where does the, where does joy come from? This is presence. 
his presence, to live in, in him, with him, him in us, upon us. Guys, don't you want that? I want it. I want it for myself. I want it for the people of Cornerstone. Guys, let's stand up and let's pray. Father, we don't want to just talk about this stuff. We're, real, we're asking for more of you, Holy Spirit. And all of us together here at the Cornerstone, we're just saying we are repenting from that old, stinking, selfish way of life that we've lived for so long. We admit, oh God, that we're selfish people. I admit, Lord, that I've been so selfish. I'm sorry, Lord. And once again, we just turn around and we say we're following you. We're following you with our eyes fixed on you, Lord, as the author and the perfecter of our faith. We're following you. My eyes are ever my on eye. the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. And so, Lord, would you just give freedom to every person in this room, every one of my friends, my brothers and sisters, these people who love you, would you just keep teaching us to love you more, keep changing our lives, and would the Holy Spirit power that raised Jesus from the dead explode out of this building all over this campus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a small group leader, raise your hand.